All right, once again, 1 Samuel 17, this is our uh, fourth and final sermon on the story of David and Goliath. Um, yeah, we're come to the end. It's 58 verses. Lots, lots been said here. Um, we'll say a lot today. You know me. I, I like to use my words liberally, so there's a good chance I should, we should be, we should be fine. Um, but before we go there, I, I wanted to, or let me ask, can, can I speak freely, right, while I'm up here? I, I was, as I was kind of chewing on this and meditating and, and thinking about it, um, I like to think of myself as a, a realist, but kind of look for the silver lining when I think about things and people and stuff. Uh, I can be critical, uh, but I, I do like, if I'm going through something, I, I usually think there's got to be something that God is showing me through this, and, and, and in spite of, you know, the circumstances, I kind of try to keep that in mind. And um, so with that in mind, I say this, being a pastor here for the last six years, it's a little over six years, six and a half years, I guess, I've come to realize something. There's lots of things that I've learned um, through my time, but one of the things that, that really stands out for me is that people do not like change. Just do not write y'all laughing because it's true, right? We don't like change. We don't want to change. Uh, we don't want to think differently, right? We don't even want to be challenged in the things that we think and believe. We don't like being proven wrong, right? Who likes to be proven wrong, right? Nobody. Uh, and this is our nature. This is our human nature. This is just who we are. Um, and I, I say this because uh, it, it, the comment was mentioned in Sunday school, and it, it correlates here, but we could preach 10 sermons. We could preach 58 sermons, one sermon for every verse in this chapter, and we will still have people, myself included, who as we read through this story, we're like, yeah, I'm like David. We're, we're thinking that I'm in this story. I'm placing myself in that role, that, that I'm like David. I'm the one slaying the giants and conquering fears and, and doing all this and that, right? We, we want to be the hero. We want to, some, some, of, some of the ladies, I think, like being the damsel in distress also, but like usually when we see a story, we see ourselves as that, that hero figure, right? We want to know that we are capable of greatness, right? That there's this, this potential deep inside of us that is just waiting to show itself. And I think that's a big uh, selling strategy of a lot of prosperity preachers, right? They kind of push this destiny and this potential that's in you and, and God just waiting to unlock it within you. Um, but like I said, it's, it's like this human nature. It's, it's within us. And, and I'll use myself as an example. Like I love uh, zombie movies and post-apocalyptic worlds, dystopian future, like those kind of movies where there's this grueling perseverance from the main character where it's like, man, this guy or, or lady, right, is just nailing it, right? In spite of all these, these trials and pains, they just persevere to the end. Uh, whether it's sickness, it's uh, epidemics, pandemics, whatever, like they, they just, they somehow find a way to make it. And I used to think of myself that way, like, you know what, if I was in this situation, you know, I'd be the one gathering these things and fighting off this or that, and, and I'd be there for my family, and I'd lead them through this just like this guy, like Rick Grimes or, or whoever, right? That, that's who I thought myself as. Well, 2020 hits, right? We have this pandemic, and we go through all this, and I get COVID twice. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm dying. I, I ain't going to make it, right? I'm, I'm just not, right? So, yeah, my wife is going to be like Sandra Bullock in Bird Box. She's going to be on her own, unfortunately. She, she's got an immune system of, a, like, a, a stallion. She's just like, I don't. I don't have that. And, and I've been humbled, right? But I see that, right? I, I thought I had this potential for greatness. And no, I don't. I don't have that. So why do I say all that? 
well, I won't get you to stop thinking of yourself as David. That, that just won't happen. You're going you're gonna to keep doing it. And, and it's okay, right? That's, that's just where we are. But what I hope to do is challenge us in our understanding of what God is seeking to show us through these verses. Like, what was God's intention in, in allowing this event to occur, right? Decreeing this event to happen the way it did, and then recording it in Scripture so that we can see something from it. Like, what, is, what are we supposed to understand from this? And I think it's clear in our passage, and I think all the Old Testament forefathers may not have known specifically this situation, but why anything occurs throughout time. If, if we are honest with ourselves, we know deep down, but part of us just wants to, to think that we're part of that, right? But what is that? What is, what is the reason? What is the purpose of all of this? What, what is this whole story about David and Goliath? What is the purpose of it? Well, David knew it, and he tells us in verses 46 and 47. He says this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, he's speaking about Goliath, or speaking to Goliath, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give, you, give the, dead, the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. So what, 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 what are we finding out there, right? I mean, we've already got the title of the sermon, right? So it's no, no secret. Um, but David said that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's, that's the whole intention of all of this. The entire Bible, uh, our lives, everything, right? If you don't leave here with nothing else today, that's, that's what we need to remind ourselves. We're not David, right? This is about God and his glory. Now, it was then for this story. It's that same thing throughout scripture, and it's the same today, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Uh, but something else to keep in mind is that God doesn't need this glory. It doesn't make him more glorious. God is glory, right? He exudes glory. So it's not like he, he is desperate for making himself known in this way so that he, like he needs this worship from us. That's, that's not what this is about. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, like I said, I, we can preach 100 sermons about us not being David and we still want to be David because we, we don't like change, we don't like to be proven wrong, we don't like to be challenged in the things that we think, uh, but sometimes it takes these slain of giant moments in our lives, right, where we have these insurmountable things in front of us, and they, they get crushed by the grace of God to remind us of who is in control and what this whole life is about. Now, I had one of these moments yesterday. Uh, there wasn't a giant necessarily, but... Uh, yeah, there was. My ego was a giant that got in the way. That, that giant got slayed, and it's, it's already growing back today. But yesterday it was slayed, and so I had to, like, scrap my sermon and start over. And thankfully, by God's grace, this is the way he works, uh, it was early enough to where it didn't really put too much stress on me waiting until, like, this evening to just, like, rewrite it or anything. So thankfully, it, it was early in the day. We had a lot of stuff to do, but God was able to carry me through it. And so... Uh, th that's, that's the reminder I needed. I needed to be reminded of his grace in my life, what this life is about, and I needed to repent, right? I needed to change my focus. I needed to look back at God and his glory and that be the focus of what I am doing. Even this morning coming up here, I'm like nervous, right? Like, oh my goodness, like what's going on? I, you know, I got to preach this message and it's like, who is this about? 
right? Is this my time or God's time? Like, even walking up here. So, so yeah, it's, I need to preach this to myself all the time. We need to preach this to ourselves all the time. But this life, this life that God has given us, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our comforts that we have in this life, right, that we love so much. Uh, it's not about our health, right? It's not about our wealth. Uh, it's, it's not about any kind of material prosperity, right? Owning land and, and a house or the new car that I own. It's not about any of that stuff. This life is about Christ and his majesty, his glory. That, that's the whole purpose of this life. And, and I think we have to remind ourselves, just like that first song we sung this morning, right? Is anyone worthy, right? If I was to ask you guys, is, is any one of you worthy of the glory that God receives? Is, is the answer yet no, right? No, right? Is, is anyone whole, right? In and of ourselves, are we whole? No. Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll, right? When that, when that signet ring presses seal, that, that scroll shut, only the king is worthy of, of unveiling that scroll, right? Do any of us have that kind of worth today? In and of ourselves, do we have that worth? No, none of us, none of us are worthy, right? So the, we ask that, well, who is? Because we need to know what's, what that says. That, that's what's going to save us. Right? We, need, we need this knowledge. It's God, right? He is worthy. Right, that's what the whole song tells us, right? He is worthy. Uh, he is. That, that's, that's who is deserved, deserving of all glory, honor, respect, reverence. Anything good comes from God and it should be returned back to him. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we think about this sermon, right? As we think about walking through these verses, who is this about? Who is life all about? And, and if we can come to that understanding and have this greater view God in this greater light, it will help us in everything. We will be able to serve better, serve faithfully, I should say. Uh, it would help us also be less selfish in the way we interact with other people. And when circumstances arise, there's, there is a, a mind change where it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worthy of good things, right? It, it, God's the one that's worthy of those things. And because of his grace on my life, I've, I've been saved. And whatever comes to me, that, that it's, it's by God's design. And so I need to take it with that in mind. And so that, that's, that's kind of the outset I want us to have, because I know for me this week, I've been me, me, me. Why is this happening to me? Why is this? Why is this? So, you know, woe is me, right? And it's like, who, who is who's this life about? Who, who are you to live your life for? What, what is the purpose of it? It's not it's not about this right here. It's about it's about what God has done for us. So with that in mind, I want to read the passage as a whole. And then we're going to kind of go through chunks as as we um, go through this sermon. So let's let's try to keep that in mind and read our passage. If you have it with you or in your in front of you, you can read along. I think we also have it up here. So starting in verse 40, it says this. Then he took his staff in his hand and cho chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of, it, the, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all, may, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly, all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, sword and spear, excuse me, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came, and drew, or when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in his hand, in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their plundered their camp and David took the head of the Philistines and brought it uh, Philistine excuse me and brought it to Jerusalem but he put his armor in his tent as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine he said to Abner the commander of the army Abner whose son is this you excuse me this youth and Abner said as your soul lives O king I do not know and the king said inquire whose son the boy is And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So let's first look at the first five verses, verses 40 through 44. Let me get a drink real quick. My throat is... All right, so verse 40 tells us that he took his shepherd's staff and five smooth stones, right? Five smooth stones. Now, if you've heard any, anybody preach on, uh, on the David and Goliath, you probably heard a five-point sermon or some kind of significance with these five stones. Now, what is the significance of these five, these five stones? Now, I've read some commentators, some scholars, pastors, all, all kind of stuff. I was doing a lot of research on this. And uh, I was I was kind of fascinated at the findings. Okay, Um, so as far as I could tell, based kind of like a consensus of all of these guys or, you know, predominantly, uh, this was the amount of stones that could fit in his pouch. That's the significant there. Significance. Right. He had a shepherd's pouch and only five could fit in there. That's kind of what we got. Right. Not not very, you know, wonderful. There's no whatever. Just that he had a pouch and five could fit in there. Now, what is the significance of the five stones in this sling, right? Because I think if we, we've seen it in movies, we've seen it in other things, and it's kind of like this leather strap and, and he slings it like this, rocks may be this big or whatever. Um, and, and that's not quite accurate as to ancient history and uh, what, what we have here. 
Now these stones, uh, they, they didn't look like the modern slingshots or even you know, ball bearing size, size rocks. Uh, um, one thing that we see from the book of Judges, which comes before 1 Samuel and then in 1 Chronicles as well, is that this was a normal practice uh, slinging stones for uh, warfare. This was a, a normal thing for the people. Um, in Judges 20, verses 15 and 16, it talks about these left-handed men that gathered up and they could hit a hair, or they could sling a stone and hit a hair and not miss, right, is, is the way it's described. It's, it's just kind of figurative language to say they were really accurate with slinging these, uh, these stones. And then First Chronicles 12, 2 speaks about some men that, that sling these stones with, with the archers. Now, something that I found interesting about these stones is when we, when we think of rocks and, and things like that, normally we're kind of thinking maybe something, you know, like that, like a golf ball or, or smaller. But in reality, these stones that they were using were two to three inches in size. So imagine like a cue ball, right, being slung. And it, it's, it makes more sense to the, it makes more sense uh, for the fact that David was killing lions and bears with these stones, right? Because if you think about him just grabbing rocks from outside and he's just tickling bears and lions with those, right? But if you have something of significant size, it's really causing some damage. So it, it really helps paint that picture a little bit better. And, and this was a common practice from the ancient Near East world all the way through the Greco-Roman world. They found like battlefields where these stones are just kind of embedded in the ground and stuff like that. And uh, the thing is, that these guys, it's believed that they could sling these stones up to three to 400 yards, right? Not just feet, but yards, like from here to the school, maybe even, you know, like something like that, slinging it across a couple of football fields. Um, 60 to 80 miles per hour is, the, is what they, they believe is like the, an average speed that they would toss these stones at. And some people even believe they got them over 100 miles an hour, right? Uh, so they're... they're these are weapons of war, right? These things cause damage. If, like I said, if David was able to kill lions and bears with it, it's not some little minuscule type of weapon. Um, but yeah, so it would make sense that that this why this killed uh, Goliath, right? It's not just some little rock that would have tickled, you know, most people or kind of bruised. It, it was a significant thing. Now, something else that uh, looking at Goliath and looking at David that I that I found in my studies that I thought was interesting as well. It's not a joke, right? I already had one of those, and that's I'm done with those for for the rest of the sermon. But um, was the the armor and the and the weaponry that was used, right? When you when you look at Goliath, it said that he was a, a man of war from his youth, right? He's he's been battle tested. Uh, the armor that he wears is heavy and and it's it's effective, right? He's been able to win battles and and fight potentially fight champion versus champion over many years. Uh, which would let us lead us to believe that the technology that was used to provide him with armor and weaponry was latest and greatest. It, it's it's cutting edge, that type of thing. Uh, but when then you look at David's, uh, he just he had a staff, which would have been a large stick, as as Goliath mentions, and then r stones from the river, right? And something that one of these commentators pointed out was the fact that this was the, the Goliath had the greatest tools made by human hands, right? That, that's, what, that's what Goliath had, right? These things were forged by fire and they were heavy and, and everything about it looked insurmountable. But the things that David had were things that God created in nature, right? It's, it's man's greatest technology versus God's creation, right? And, and I found that really interesting when we think about the things that David used versus the things 
that uh, Goliath used. Now, something else that kind of, I, I kind of try to, like I said, we try to put ourselves in David's shoes. So one of the things that I kind of think about with David is, you know, when he said he's going to battle, uh, battle Goliath, he talks to Saul, walks back down, grabs his staff, finds a little brook by where they're fighting, and just walks down there and grabs these stones, right? He knows he's going to find these stones down there. And, and it wasn't like some magical moment where these five stones just kind of floated to the surface or they were like bright and shiny. And he's like, these are the five stones that are going to slay this giant, right? He just, he just knew there was going to be these river rocks, these stones that, that he could use to kill Goliath. And so it's, it kind of, I feel like it takes away this dramatization of what we see with David and kind of makes it real for us. David knew, hey, there's rocks that I can throw uh, at Goliath that are just in this river. So I'm going to take what God has given because he's going to deliver me, right? It wasn't some testing of God in that moment, but it's like, hey, God has already promised to us as his people that wherever we set our foot, we're going to prosper, right? We're going to kick these people out of these lands and no one will prevail over us, right? And when we're coming in the name of the Lord, he will deliver us, whatever it takes. And so I'm going to go to this brook. I'm going to find these stones, right? Five, because that's all that can fit. And we'll see what it takes, right? If it's one or if it's five, like eventually I'm going to take them out. Even if it, if it takes this staff, right? Even if it takes a staff, I've got what it takes because I've got the Lord on my side, right? I am fighting for the Lord. And, and we know that this is David's mindset based on what he said because his trust wasn't in the staff. It wasn't in the stones. It wasn't even in his own ability, right? He had killed lions and bears. He told Saul that. Uh, but where was his faith found? Listen to what he said in verse 37. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Right? There's no confidence in the flesh. Right? The Lord delivered me. That's what he's telling us here. Right? He said it. He saw it. He knew it. This isn't about David. This isn't about Saul. This isn't about any of us. This is about God. God promised that he will do this for us. And so I'm going to go down there, and just like he delivered me from this bear, from this lion, uh, he's going to deliver me from this, this giant as well. Thank you, Lord. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to, to have that type of confidence where you're like, my, my trust is in him. And as I walk and I live this life, he's got me. Whatever the case may be, he's got me. His trust was in the Lord, the rock of his salvation. And not only did he, not only was he the rock of his salvation, he trusted God, right? That through this situation, he would make himself known, right? That it wouldn't be based on the might of David, that it would be based on making God known that the God of Israel is the God um, of this, of creation. So David, knowing that all this was going on and, and Dave, or excuse me, Goliath speaks to them in this way, like, you're going to come to me with sticks, and beat me like a dog? Is that how you seek to beat me? Well, David responds to that, right? He responds to, to his threats. And we see this in verses 45 through 47. Let me read these verses because it's, it's awesome. It says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, right? This is in response to him talking about these sticks. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver me, deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Amen, right? There's lots of stuff going on in these verses, like so much, right? There's a lot, but we've got to kind of fine-tune in, in where we're going. But the first thing I want to mention is the brutal language that they're using with each other, right? If you back up a couple of verses, he says, you know, you come to me with these sticks, I'm going to kill you and leave you here for the birds and the, the beasts to eat on, right? They're, you're just going to be laid out. And then David responds basically saying the same thing. Now, when we look at that, we can say, oh, okay, they're talking trash, right? These are threats they're making to each other. And it's like, oh, well, you said this, like, well, yo mama or whatever, right? There's like that type of thing where they're going back and forth <laughs> with each other. But it can be thought that way, right? Like that, that could be the thought where it's like this trash talk going back and forth. But this was common practice in these champion battles, right? Whenever these people would come together and they slice them down, right? They, one would prevail over the other. Yeah, they would strip them and leave them there for, to, to have a, a desecrated, uh, unworthy type of burial, right? Their body's going to lay there, decompose, or bloat, decompose, and then just be eaten up by wild animals. That's like the worst, right? That's the worst thing that can happen. There's other instances in Scripture where we talk about that where that talk about that, like uh, Jezebel, when she's, her blood is being licked up by the dogs and different things like that. There's different instances where it's like, yeah, you're not given a proper burial due to the things that you have done. So this is common, right? This is a common thing during this time. Is it trash talk? Sure. But more importantly, it's like, hey, when I finish with you, this is what's going to happen to you and your people. Now, that, that's kind of like what's going on there. Not only does it bring shame to that person, but if it's champion versus champion and God versus God, it's also defaming the name of that God as well, right? That's, that's a, a bigger part of the shame. Another thing that uh, we see here that, that I thought was really like that, that we can infer from what's going on is the fact that through this event, uh, through the 40 days of mocking, right? This was known throughout all of uh, Philistia. This was known throughout all of Israel that, that these men are, that Goliath is just mocking God, right? He comes out every day and just, you know, who's going to challenge me and, and cursing the name of God, doing all these things, right? All this is going on. And so words, words making its, its way around, right? People are, you know, finding out what's going on. That's going on. The Israelites are, are in fear. Uh, David eventually kills this giant, cuts his head off, lets this body just rot away in this field. Uh, but as all this is going on, and then once, you know, David wins, then you have thousands and thousands of witnesses to this event, right? So as, as David mentioned, right, how, how is God's name going to be known through this situation? Well, word of mouth, right? They're going to see what's going on. They're going to see this little, young, ruddy, handsome, pretty boy go out there and slay this big old giant, and then word gets back, right? Like they left, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but... But yeah, the word gets back. When they retreat, word gets back to the people of Philistia and then back to Israel. Like, man, do you, you want to know what happened in this time? Like this guy killed this guy, cut his head off. And, and that, that word was spread. And so I, I think that was like really cool to, to think about that, that this, the, the word of mouth was going to spread about this situation. But the fact that David killed Goliath in this way doesn't doesn't stand out more so than any other way that God caused his people to prevail throughout all of Jewish history, 
right? There's tons of instances that we can read through scripture where God showed himself miraculously with the people. Uh, you can look at um, when they conquered um, Jericho, right? When they circle it and then they blow their horns and the walls crash and they take over the people, right? That's, that shouldn't have happened uh, naturally, right? Our natural minds tell us that that shouldn't have happened. Uh, Gideon with the 300 soldiers that were lapping up water, right? Those are the people that he chose to take and they have these pots with fire and, and then it causes a confusion amongst the people, right? These crazy situations, the parting of the Red Sea, all these things where God has shown himself to be the God of his people and to protect them and to lead them, guide them, do all that he has promised, like all these different situations have occurred. Um, and, and so this instance here wasn't some isolated instance of God making himself known, but I think it's important for us to recognize that time after time, right, just instance after instance, event after event, God performs these miraculous signs and wonders so that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, right? That's his intention in all of these things. So along with that, the final thing that I want to talk about in this chunk of scripture is, you know, David could have been an average-sized man. Goliath may have been twice his height, potentially, right? That, this crazy thing, the, the fact that David had confidence to approach him is, is something to be admired. It, it's a virtuous thing for, for David to have confidence in the Lord like that, right? It, it's something that we should admire in him. And I think it's something that we can glean wisdom from, right? We can take what David did and, and apply this to ourselves and kind of think of, okay, well, what, what, what's the, what are some things that I can take from this situation? And so I want to ask us a question when it comes to David's confidence, right? When we see David's confidence in the Lord, this is a question I want to ask, and I'm going to lead into other questions. Do you have that same kind of confidence, right? The confidence that he had where God's, God's going to take care of this. I'm the, just the vessel that he's going to use to achieve this. But do we have that same sort of confidence when it comes to our understanding of God's word, right? When we come to God's word, are we reading it with that type of confidence that what he says is true, right? Is that how we read the scriptures? Or do we just say, you know what, I've, I've got to read the Bible again today. Uh, you know, I'm, oh man, I'm trying to do this Bible in a year and it's just so hard, right? Is, is that my understanding or do I have confidence that God is speaking to me through his word? Now, another thing, if we're going to take that a little deeper, if I say, oh, yeah, do you have confidence in God's word? You may say, yeah, you know, like, I, I believe God is who he says he is, who, who Jesus is, that he saved me. I was this wretched sinner, right? You can go through all that, the Roman road, and, and you're like, yeah, I fully believe that. I, I fully believe God's promises. I, I don't doubt them. There may be a little bit of doubt, but, yeah, the promises of God, I'm right there. Like, I, I, I fully believe them. I need reminding from time to time. But for the most part, I'm, you know, I, I have full confidence in him. Now, that's good, right? That's a good thing. We should have confidence in the promises that God has given us because they're all yes and amen. All the promises of God are yes and amen. But I don't mean those only, okay? And, and this is where I'm, you know, I'm pointing at y'all, but I'm pointing back at myself too. Is, our, is that same confidence that we have in the promises of God, right? That he saved us, how he saved us, that it was Jesus Christ who did that, right? That lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, died a sinner's death, was raised on the third day, uh, that the Holy Spirit is who indwells us and, and leads us in paths of righteousness and sanctifies us and all of these things, right? I have that confidence, right? And the confidence that I have in that 
Is my confidence, my trust, is all that the same level when I think about the things that God forbids us to do? Right? The, the things that he calls sin, do I have that same confidence that I have in the things that he has promised as the things that he calls sin? Now, what do I mean by that? If, if you're kind of like, hmm, I don't know, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, think about it this way. When God, what God calls sin, do you trust that those things are sins against him? Right? When God says, don't slander, do you, do you believe that or do you slander? When, when God says not to gossip, do you believe that or do you gossip? When God says don't lust, do you lust or do you believe what God has said about lust? Do you keep records of wrong when God tells us to not keep records of wrong? What about lying about people or uh, uh, making prejudicial judgments on people, right? Well, they're always like this, so for sure they did it this way, right? Without knowing the full story, right? It, having imbalanced weights is the way the, the scriptures describe it. Is that, does that sound like you? Do you believe what God said about those things, that they're abominations? Or, or do you, ah, well, you know, I'm going to do that sometimes. It's just, it's just who I am. I, you know, I pop off at the mouth or whatever. Where, where is our trust and our confidence? Is it in what God has said or is it in ourselves where we kind of excuse these things? I think uh, maybe, maybe a better way to say it, I'll kind of personalize this a little bit more uh, for two particular groups, uh, wives and husbands. Right. We're going to start with the wives because ladies first. Right. I'm, I'm a, I try to be a gentleman. So we're going to go with the ladies first. OK, so when God said in his word that you are to submit to your husband and respect him, right, do you believe that God said that? Is that something that you believe or do you kind of take it as a suggestion that God has given? Because submitting and respecting is whether they deserve it or not. Right. It's easy to do it when they're deserving. I mean, yeah, he's he's washing dishes. He's taking out the trash. He's you know, he's giving me all the attention I want. And oh, man, yeah, I just want to love him and serve him and, you know, make his meals, set his plate out on just talk about how good he is. I'm just so happy that my husband is my husband. Right. Like just excited about it. Right. You know, oh, yeah, Hercules. Right. It's easy when times are good. Right. And it's easy. But what about when he when he does bonehead things? Right. When he does the same dumb stuff over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Some of you have been married 20, 30 years, 40 years. Right. And you're like, this guy will never change. Are you respecting him then? How do you speak about him when you're away from him? Are you submitting to him? Right. When when he says stuff. Right. And, and submission is not being a doormat. Right. It's submitting out of reverence for Christ. So we're not saying just follow wherever he leads. Right. If he if he strays away, your job is to pull him back. Right. Point him back to Christ. That, that's that's submission, too. So we're not saying just blindly following. But, you, you know, deep down when you're submitting to him and, you know, when you're respecting him. Now, it's not just the wives. Right. Husbands, too. Right. As a husband, as a father, you know, I've got to ask myself this same question. Am I loving my wife like Christ loves the church? Do I believe God when he says that, that that's what I'm called to do? Am I serving her out of reverence for Christ? Right. The things that I do, the things that I desire. Right. I just need my time. Right. Is that what where is my heart in all those things? Am I leading her 
the way that Christ leads his people, right? We see great examples of this in the Old Testament through Moses, right, who was a type of Christ leading the people of God out of the, or through the wilderness, right, and, and then eventually through Joshua into the promised land, right? Are we desiring to lead in the way that God has called us to? Those are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Do we believe God in his word when he tells us to do these things? Right. So ultimately, all of those things should lead us to ask this question. Are my actions, my thoughts and my words self-centered or do they show my confidence in, in the God of Israel? Right. God, God said this and I've got to follow it at all costs, whether you like it or not. Right. That, that's what I'm supposed to do. Where where is my heart in all those different areas? This is what David did. Right. He was like, I am going to slay this guy in the name of the Lord, right? It's not about me, it's, it's about God, right? That's the kind of confidence that, God, that David had in God. Now, once again, I'm not saying for us to be like David, right? But we're trying to glean wisdom from David. Uh, and I think having that understanding of who he is and what he did, right? He knew that his purpose in life was to show that all of the earth, or to show that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Once again, that was David's purpose in all that he did. And so I ask myself this, right, is, is my goal to make God known through my actions, my thoughts, my words, or is, or is it to make me known, right? I, I'm desiring myself to look good in this situation. I'm, I'm trying to protect myself from shame, or is it about what God has called us to? So <clears throat> this is what David did, right? He sought to make God known through all the world, uh, that there is a God in Israel, and so how did he do that, right? What was the, the task set before him? What was killing Goliath, right? That's, that's what we have here. And we see this in verses 49 and 51. That's where he kills him, right? He takes one of those five stones, slings it at him, crushes his face, takes his sword, and then chops his head off, right? It's brutal, uh, but, but that's, that's the Bible, right? The, the Bible gives us the unadulterated truth. Now, one of the things that I would consider a fun fact in this time um, was the manner in which David killed Goliath uh, and, and what his motivation was along with Goliath defying God. Like, what would have been the thing that drove him to do this? Because this was a righteous act that he performed, right? This was a godly thing that David did. Well, what makes this a godly thing? Well, if we look at what Goliath did, right, he sat out in front of the Israelites, he taunted them and defied the God of Israel for 40 days straight. Okay, another way of saying this is that Goliath blasphemed the name of the Lord. This is what he was doing. He was cursing their God by his God and, and shaming the people, defying God, right, to send them somebody for him to kill. So what is the punishment for blasphemy, right? What is the punishment for blasphemy? Well, it tells us in Leviticus 24, 16, uh, it says this, whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh is to be put to death. The whole community must stone him. And if he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the foreign resident or the native, right? It didn't matter if you were of the people of God or from somewhere else. If you blaspheme the name of God, you are to be put to death and not only put to death, but stoned, right? You are to be stoned. And so by the power of God, this is exactly what David did, right? He knew what, what, what Goliath was doing. And he was like, this is what God has called us to. We got to stone this guy. And, and he did it. Now, something else um, that, that was discussed, and I think this is important for us to mention, 
concerning this event is, and I think Pastor mentioned it in one of the earlier sermons, was that David's this Christ-like figure, right? He, he foreshadows what was to come in Christ and conquering sin and death uh, on the cross. But Goliath also plays that role, and, and this was mentioned too, but I think specifically here are some things that I wanted to reiterate. Uh, Goliath doesn't only reference or represent uh, fear, death, sin, you know, all that type of stuff, but also Satan himself, right? He is a, like a prefigure of him as well. And I think it's, it's, there's things within this chapter that help us see that, right? He mocked God for 40 days, right? He sat out there and taunted and defied God for 40 days. Jesus was tempted while he was in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days, right? This is what was going on there. Uh, when it describes his armor, it says it was a coat of mail is the way that it's described earlier in the chapter. Now, a, a more literal understanding of that ver or that word, that descriptive adjective, I guess, um, is scale-like armor, right? It was like scale armor is the way it's described. So think of a, a fish or a snake, right? A serpent has scales, that type of thing. And if we were to go back to the garden, right, what we see in the garden is there was a serpent and there was Adam and Eve, right? And then when the curse was given to the serpent, right, in Genesis 3.15, this is our first gospel presentation that's given in all of scripture is Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, God curses the serpent by saying, I'm going to put strife and enmity, animosity between your seed and the seed of the woman. You will bruise his heel and he will crush your head, right? So we see this also, right? We see the crushing of this serpent-like armored figure, uh, his, his head getting crushed by the seed of the woman, right? In a sense, right? We kind of see these as prefigures of what was to happen later on. Now, I, I feel like that's too coincidental for it to be coincidence only, right? But seeing God work through time, through his plan of redemption, uh, he gives us these little glimpses through time of how things are going to work out physically uh, in, the, in a spiritual or spiritually what, what works out in a, we see it in a physical sense of what's going to happen spiritually. <clears throat> so after this, right after this head is crushed, the head is cut off, the Philistines, they flee, right? This is what happens at the tail end of our passage. They, they didn't even pack up their stuff. They would have had an encampment, maybe a couple couple miles away or a couple hundred yards away from this battlefield, uh, but they didn't even see fit to pack their stuff up. They just booked it, right? And the Israelites gained confidence seeing this giant killed and then followed after him. Now, after that, they come back and plunder this encampment. David has the head and the armor of, of, uh, of Goliath, and then he gets called upon by Saul to speak about who he is and, and what he's done, right? And that kind of rounds out what happens here in chapter 17. Now, before we close, I want to give us a little more application, and then, then we'll, we'll finish out our time. So when we think about what's going on here and the title, right, um, that all the earth may know, when we think about these things, how does, how does this apply to me, right? Because if, if you leave here and you just have some head knowledge and it just stays there, it doesn't really do any good. We're to, we're to be stirred up to loving good works, right, to love God more, to love his people, and to do good things, right, things that are pleasing to God. That's, that should be the desire anytime the word of God goes forth. It should be having that uh, desired result. So how do these truths apply to, apply to my life, right? If I take what, what's been said so far, how do I take this and apply it to my life? Well, 
One thing that I do want to say first is there's tons of miraculous events that happen through Scripture. And I think there's been plenty of times, I know some of the things within some of your lives, but I think a lot of us can attest to the fact that we've seen or experienced something miraculous in our own life, something where it just seemed like hopeless and then God came through, right? And you're just like, I, I can't explain this other than God carried me through this time, whether it be unspeakable peace through a, a terrible tragedy uh, or just something miraculous, right, that, that just defies the senses of logic. Like, I have no, no idea why this went this way because every other time it happened, I always thought this way or did these types of things. But we, we all have those. I think most of us either have those experiences or have had someone close to us that has experienced something like that. And so I, I think about that, right? Like, okay, well, is it about these miracles, these mountaintop experiences that we all have experienced, whether it be a new promotion, a new child, a marriage, grandchildren, whatever? Like, is it about these mountaintop experiences that send us on these emotional highs? Because we can, we can seek to live for those things, right? After we get done with one and we come back down and we're kind of plateaued, we're like, man, I just, I love the way that I was serving God and praying and loving my family whenever I was going through this. And I don't necessarily want that situation to happen again, but I want to get back to serving God that way, loving God and his people that way. And that can be where our minds go. Well, I just, I need to have that high to help me get through this time. And, and I, I think that's kind of what we go through, right? We, we, we think about these giants and slaying them and conquering these fears and, and all of that type of stuff. But Ultimately, is that what this passage is about? Is that what it's telling us? And is that, is that what we should be desiring? Well, I think the answer is, is no, right? I, th I think that's the answer. It's, it's not about those things. Uh, it's, it's, it's about us being still and knowing that he is God, right? Because what ends up happening is if we're looking for these highs and these lows and just going through all of these things, we forget, as you know, some people say, stopping and smelling the roses, right? Appreciating the things that God has done, uh, being still and recognizing, okay, well, who is this about? Right? Is this life about me? Because if it is, I am not happy with it. I don't enjoy this. I, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not joyful. I'm not content. I don't like any of this stuff that's going on right now. I, I need something to change. And then we're angry with God. We're angry with people. We're bitter. We're resentful, all that stuff. But if we stop, be still, know that he is God, that it's about him and his glory, helps us realign, helps us repent, and really focus on what's important in this life, right? That it's, it's, it's not all about us. Now, as we do that, we come to grips with what this life is about, right? As we spend time in his word, spend time with his people, repent of these things, we understand that. And I, and I want to give us a, a scripture that kind of rounds this out for us to help us uh, understand what this life is all about. God said this through the prophet Jeremiah. This is found in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. <clears throat> I'm going to drink this. I was thinking the twins were here and they were going to giggle again. Um, it says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Right. Like that is important for us to understand. Right. This is what pleases God, knowing him, understanding him. That dispels all the confusion that we have in this life. Right. It's not about us understanding the circumstances we're in. It's about understanding God. Right. Making him known. These are the things that are important to us. And and so what I want to ask us today when we think about that is when we look back at our lives, whether, you know, the highs, the lows, all these things, the things that we've accomplished, whether it be degrees, whatever, whatever the thing is, like whatever we, we, we find most satisfaction in, like, man, I was able to do this or do that or, or whatever. Uh, what, what is that thing that we're most proud of in our own life? Because I think if we were to ask David, right, what, what he was most proud of in his life was that, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. But right? I don't think becoming king, killing Goliath, you know, conquering and, and warring and doing, I don't think any of that would have mattered. I think all of that would have paled in comparison to the fact that he made God known in Israel. Right? That's, that, when, I've, when I read that, when I think about that, when I say that, that lets me know what being a man after God's own heart is. Right? When we think about being a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, it's my desire is to make God known. That, that's having a, a heart, uh, a man, being a man after God's own heart. David had riches. David had might. He had wisdom, but he doesn't boast in those things. Right? He boasted in the fact that he knew God, that he understood him, and he sought to make him known. Right? That's what we see in the Psalms that he wrote. Right? He wasn't boasting in himself in those Psalms. Right? He was boasting in the God that he served. So for us today, I think we have to remind ourselves it's, it's not about looking in the mirror and being happy with what you see, right? Whether it's your weight or whatever, whatever it is, right? It's, it's not about that. Uh, it's not about looking at your bank account and being like, oh, man, yeah, we're good. Like, we're, we're good. It's not about that either. It's not about looking at your spouse, um, even though you should be looking at them regularly, right? It's not about looking at your spouse or your kids even and, and seeing the good things they do and, and be like, you know what, this is what brings me joy in life. It's my, my, my wife and kids or my husband and kids and, and this job. I like. It's not, it's not even about those things. Life is not about those things. It's about looking to the Lord and finding joy in what you see in him. That's what this life's about. It's about nothing else. Can I look to him? And find joy in him. Takes care of everything else. Takes care of everything else. He is the God that practices steadfast love. Right? His love never ceases. That's what that means. It never ceases. On your worst days, he loves you the same as your best days. Right? He truly loves you. Right? We say we love each other and we don't show it that often. God means it when he says it. He is the God of justice. This means that no sin will go unpunished. Right? If somebody's ever did you wrong, that sin is going to be paid one way or another, whether it was on the cross with Christ, which was a perfect payment for those sins, or it's going to be paid for an eternity for that person in hell. One way or another, those sins are going to be paid for. Not a single sin will go unpunished. And he is a God of righteousness. Right. As children of God, those of us who have trusted in Christ for our salvation, we, we were lost sheep. Right. We were these lost sheep that were just out there, lost, scared, 
just blind, all that stuff. No good to anybody. But he found us. Or he found us while we were lost. That's, that's what he did. He found us when we were lost. We weren't wait, you know, waiting for someone to discover us and, and we, or we come back to him. He found us while we were lost. Right? We were in darkness. Right? God pulled us out of darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. That's what happens. Right? We were enjoying the darkness we walked in. Right? So we were lost and we just didn't realize it. But just like that, right, this God of righteousness, it wasn't that he just found us and treated us like a rescue animal, which I'm not saying rescue animals don't get treated kindly, but it's deeper than that, right? When he grabbed us out of that darkness, out of that filth, he took upon himself the sin that we committed. Can't get through one survey with that. He took that upon us. I mean, he took that upon himself. All the filth, all the ugliness that we do. He took that upon himself and gave us his righteousness. What a wonderful God we serve. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we lose sight of all the time, right? Because we get so caught up in what we want, uh, our own form of justice, our own form of righteousness, our own form of love, right? God doesn't love me because he didn't do this for me. God, God isn't just because he didn't do this for me, right? Why am I going through all of these things? He does it perfectly. He does it perfectly. So as we close, where is my trust, right? In whom do I believe? What do I believe in? Who do I live my life for? Right? Am I seeking to make myself known or am I seeking to make God known? The easiest way we can figure that out is when we see our reactions to difficult situations in our lives. Right? That reveals where our heart is. If I'm more torn up about the fact that God and his name is being blasphemed throughout the world and, and sin in these different situations, great. But usually it's like my laws are being broken. You offended me. Why didn't you do this for me? It's, it's me, me, me. Right? That's usually where we are. But difficult situations reveal where our heart is. <clears throat> we sung Psalm 20, and I wanted to quote from this psalm because I think it, it, it really encompasses what we're, what we're to do and what we, the way we should think. It says this, Psalm 20, verses 6 and 7. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with a saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, right? We, we trust in things. Some of us trust in things. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. That's where our trust needs to be. Now, as the music team comes forward, we'll have a time of response to this sermon. Uh, a song will play. And if you want prayer, you can come forward and we'll pray for you. Um, if not, you can sit at your seat and we will continue on. But uh, before we do that, let us pray. <clears throat>